0: morning everybody. I'd Like to also greet those who may be listening uh, <clears throat> online or listening to this later on as an archive. I'm certainly glad to have you all here and the, the vid- visitors we got to meet earlier on. Um, the scripture that we, just, uh, that we just read there obviously was the character of who? That's right. And uh, while he builds himself up, he obviously has uh, tendencies and a crafty way of knocking us down. And also building us up at the same time for the wrong reasons. Well, you might have noticed that uh, today's sermon was titled Personal Development. And I want to say a couple things about that. <clears throat> uh, personal development, maybe also known as self help. Um, some of you know, uh, maybe I have books already that, that deal with these things, and I just want to caution you on some of that, that some of these things in the self-help or the, the personal development industry can get kind of dangerous. Some of them get involved with, with hypnotism, self-suggestion, and, um, and really focusing on self a little bit too much to the point you can take it to the extreme, as you can with everything else. But there are a few tidbits that uh, I've extracted from um, kind of different ways of, of thinking and uh, trying to avoid some of the pitfalls that, that Satan has all over the place for us. So, in that verse there, uh, Isaiah 14, uh, 13 to 14, again, he said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. You know we say we're born into a sinful life, a sinful world and a sinful nature. So as we read verses like that and others about the devil's character, that is really the, the root of who we are, our natural tendencies by default. Remember, our God is not a forceful God, so by default, these are the things that we would seek after, these are the ways we'd behave, unless we seek God. And of course that's dangerous. But what's more dangerous is that, you know, we talk about fighting the devil and temptation each day, but so often we think this is resisting the temptation to steal or kill or say, say something bad about somebody or hurt somebody, which, of course, those are bad things too. But we work so hard trying to be successful in dodging the obvious stuff, thinking we're doing really well, while we're sinning the whole way through, and we don't even know it. So you've probably heard this illustration, but how effective would the devil be if him or his temptations were really obvious? You know, we think about the illustration of him, you know, kind of boom. you know, he jumps out and he's this blazing red guy, you know, a dragon, gargoyle-looking character and, and doing all these evil things. He's intimidating, he's robbing people, and he's being all destructive. And do you think if he employed that behavior and always appeared and presented himself in that capacity, that one-third of all of the uh, heaven's angels would have fallen, been deceived by him? And the answer is no, I don't think so. He presents himself very beautifully and very, almost seamlessly, you hear the term seamlessly, like it wouldn't even seem that he's there. You don't even think about it, and so you don't really associate these things with being bad because you don't see this this character, you don't see the obvious glaring detail at you that, that something is bad or something you should avoid. You see, the devil is so brilliant and crafty that he even has us deceived on what deception is. We think deception, again, is limited to when he tricks us into doing things like stealing or killing or saying a bad word or hurting someone's feelings. In fact, we'll even measure ourselves up from time to time using the commandments. Well, I didn't do any of those things this week, we think. We might even kind of go through a checklist in our mind. Let's see, kill, no, steal, no. I love my neighbor, pretty good people, We go on the list, you know, maybe you take one to bed with you and you check it off at the end of the night with a a marker. You know, the devil will snatch the marker out of your hand. He'll check it off for you. You want copies, he'll run those too. But you see, the fault in that is that we work hard on trying to save ourselves. We work hard on our own salvation. We work hard on doing, we talk about being saved by works, doing these things to make sure we're in good standing and and we use that measurement tool. And the devil's fine with that. There's a lot of great people out there who do most of those things that don't even believe in God, and that is his goal. It's also his goal to knock us down, to instill negativity, and uh, do anything to distract us from relationship with God, which tears us down and breaks us apart. So today I want to talk about the devil's real scheme, this circus that he's developed, and how we gladly participate in it every day, whether we realize it or not. Along the way, I hope to expose some of the devil's traits and tactics of deception for what they're worth, while providing perhaps maybe a better perspective on how to view and deal with it. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, it says that today this, uh, these words and this message is, is yours, and that it reaches people that, uh, that you're hoping to hear it. And Father... Thank you for your blessing on all of us. We thank you for our visitors and our friends and family. And we're so glad we can still worship freely and spend time with you this Sabbath day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so let's start with the core of Satan's character, the, the basis of our problem. And from there, we can understand more about why things are the way we are and why, why we behave and believe the things that we do. You know, we talked about some of the what we might consider the obvious sins, but uh, what, are, what keeps us from being effective? What things does he use to knock us down? See, the devil's goal is to make us as less effective as possible. He wants us to be, a, the, the devil loves useless people. In fact, he'd rather we be dead. But as long as we have to be alive, we might as well be doing nothing but maybe entertaining ourselves or being selfish or cutting down others, all of those types of things. So what is the devil? Well, he's a lot of bad things. But the three I'd like to, three of them I'd like to focus on today is we know he's selfish, he's an accuser, And he's deceptive. See, these things play really closely to the character that we can take when we break away from God. He's selfish, as we learned in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 to 14. uh, Exalting himself. He'll ascend into the heavens. He'll be like the Most High. And we can obviously kind of do those things we hear every day. Um, You know, we'll go over examples later on on how how great we feel about ourselves sometimes and how that affects us. He's an accuser. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan, standing right next to him, ready to accuse him. Mm -hmm. We also learn from the story of Adam and Eve. Um, Once they were tricked into sinning, they were tempted and they they had fallen for it. And once they were called to be accounted for, what was the first thing that happened? This woman. She did it. If you want to, you know, everything was fine until you put her here. Well, that's who tempted me. Where did they get that from? Who taught them how to blame? You see, prior to that, there was no there's no kitchen or or house for Adam to blame Eve for not keeping clean. We know that they didn't they weren't naked. They weren't aware that they were they were naked, so they didn't need clothes. So Eve couldn't blame Adam for doing the laundry wrong and putting the reds in with the white t-shirts. They didn't know this stuff before. But it's one of those core traits. It's in the devil's code. And again, he's deceptive. And of course, there again in Genesis in the Garden, we see uh, that's just one evidence there of deception. What is deception? Deception is beguilement, deceit, bluff, mystification. These are acts to propagate beliefs that are not true or not the whole truth. Deception can employ distraction, camouflage, or concealment. Five primary forms of deception are lies. We know what lies are. Making up information or giving information that's not true or opposite of the truth. Concealments, where you conceal or hide something or you leave out information, you conceal it. Exaggerations, overstatement or stretching the truth just a little bit. And then there's understatements, which is minimizing or downplaying the aspects of truth. And equivocations. What are equivocations? I can't even say equivocations. Equivocations. Making an indirect, ambiguous or contradictory statement. So you see that deception is the opposite of what it really is. And as we take a look at how this world operates and the principles that we live each day, maybe uh, you'll get some ideas as to, as to how we think now and how it should be so much different, how the devil has us thinking backwards and, and running on his treadmill. So he uses these things, these forms of deception, to try and reduce us, as I said before, to being as useless as possible. And he does this by uh, a couple things. He does this by getting us to belittle ourselves, blame ourselves for things we shouldn't worry about or shouldn't dwell on, but we do, we beat ourselves up over it. He gets us to exult and adorn, over-reward, and even harmfully compensate ourselves for how great we've become from all the great work that we've done. And he gets us to blame other people, other entities and other factors for why things don't go our way, rather than taking responsibility for the things that we choose to say and do, and standing up and taking action, and being as useful as possible. So you see, only he could be as crafty as to tear us down, and find ways to build us up, and both of them being bad for us. How about getting us to belittle ourselves and blame ourselves for things that we shouldn't worry about or dwell on or that, that we can't do anything about? We're always beating ourselves with reasons why we feel we can't or why we're not good enough. You're too short. You're too tall. You're too old. You've never done it before. What makes you think you can do it now? What makes you think you can do it now? Nobody in your family's ever done it. In fact, if you start now, they'll all make fun of you. It's the thief in the mind that steals the dream, steals the promise, and causes us to be so much less effective than what we could be. One of the sayings from out there, <clears throat> maybe a worldly rendition of it, it goes, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Now, it doesn't say to don't, not work hard on your job, but if you work hard on your job, you can make a living, which is fine. If you work hard on yourself, you can make a fortune, which is super fine. I think of Moses you know, I, I'm not a good speaker. He didn't want to go and talk to the king and, and trying to get his people back. Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I, I kind of I bend this to, to that situation. I, I think, God, Moses, don't worry about it. But I don't know what to say. I'm not a good speaker. I'll give you the words. Yeah, but uh, you know, Moses, don't worry about the job at hand. Don't worry about you and what, what you do. I've got this. Work harder on us. Work harder on us. Work harder on yourself than you do on the job. If you work hard on that job, you might make it through life, which is fine. If you work hard on us, you'll inherit my fortune, which is infinitely fine. But the staff, they got all these magicians and sorcerers. What am I to do? Moses, take your staff and throw it on the ground. It will become a serpent. Do it. I've dropped it 500 times. It's never turned into a snake when it hit the ground. What have it. Been? Drop it. Now pick it up. Pick it up. Bingo. When I talk about work hard on yourself, it's not so much focusing on yourself. You know, we talk about changing ourselves. You know, we really need a relationship with God for us to change. Isn't that true? Change our hearts spiritually in a soft and loving way. But first, we have to even want to do that. So we need to work on ourselves to want to even make the time to begin studying God's word and spending time with him work harder on us. I believe God says than you would on anything else you do. Another point I mentioned was getting God or the devil getting us to exalt, adorn, and over-reward ourselves. Or even harmfully compensate ourselves for all the great things we just got done doing and how great we've become. Think of things like an indulging in something bad or just avoiding things that are good. For example, Now Judy and I we've been talking about this for several weeks now. Come home after a hard day's of work and um, rather than working out you're kind of tired, you know. You know, I put in a long day. I think we should go out for ice cream. I th- I deserve ice cream. No, it's not me, that's her. That's ice cream, you know. <laughs> no. I could work out. It's only 30 45 minutes a day, but I'm just so tired. You know, and part of that's part of the devil's trap, too. We work so hard for all these things that we have that mostly we don't need. And we're too tired to do the things that are good for us. But We feel like we're being restful. This will be a good stress leader. I just need to relax. I Maybe mean, turn on the TV and do something that doesn't require me to, to be thinking or moving. And it's good to take that time. We, we need that. We need rest. Is what the Sabbath is for. We all kick, kick our shoes off at the end of the day and do a little bit of that. And, uh, but it always turns into something more. Some people who are maybe struggling with trying to quit drinking or smoking. You know, this is just nerve-wracking. All this stuff happening at work, these things that happen to my family. I'm just, I'm pure nerves right now. I just, you know, I just got to have one. You know, calm me down. I deserve one for all I've been dealing with. Feels good to us, but all these things that we feel are good for us, even, even sometimes relaxing, doing too much of it, can turn to be bad for us. So we just went from being torn down, beating ourselves up to, to um, bringing ourselves up and thinking of all sorts of reasons why we should have and do these bad things. No one's going to keep me from enjoying life. I'm going to eat how I want. I'll drink how I want. I don't need to work out. I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to enjoy my life. Nobody's going to tie me down. You might enjoy life for a few years. but Towards the end, it ain't going to be so pretty maybe because you won't be as good a shape had you been eating properly or working out or whatever it may be. And not all health issues we can control, but I certainly think you understand where I'm going with how we can use those things, how the devil uses those things to keep us distracted, keep us unhealthy, keep us useless, as he wants us to be. I hope the kitchen people downstairs are ready. This one might wrap up pretty quick. Maybe you guys are happy about that. But... um, uh and the final way that the devil uses to deceive us, you know, he deceives us about our own selves. You would think that of all things you know yourself better than anything else. Well, I know the Bible, I know, I know prophecy. As long as I watch out for that guy who's gonna be leading the army of the world in the end and uniting everybody, as long as I watch out for him, I'm gonna be just fine. All the time not doing the work, all the time being beat up about why we can't do things, why the world is terrible, and why all sorts of excuses for why we can't be effective. Because the devil tells us these things. So we get to blaming other people. We blame entities, we blame other factors for why things don't go our way rather than taking responsibility for ourselves and what we can choose to say or do. And some of these are traps we don't even know we're in them. But maybe in this portion here, we'll... uh, have some ideas that we can think of things a little bit differently, as I mentioned before. There was a guy, as I mentioned, in the the personal development industry. I had listened to a clip of him. He was doing a speech in front of some people. He began to tell a story. He said, I was 25 years old, and I was introduced to a man who I had a chance to go to work for. And over the next five years, the ideas he shared with me not only made me rich but gave me a foundation for a long-term career of sharing ideas, building business, making profits, wise investments, made an extraordinary contribution to my life. This unique man, he only went to the ninth grade in school, so the things he shared with me in that five-year period were very simple, very ABC. And that's where I got all those simple phrases like, do your best to get it all. He said, for things to change for you, you have to change. Wow. He said, Don't wish things were easier, wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. It's not less problems that makes us more effective, it's more skills that makes us more effective. You have to change. And there again I think of Moses, you know. Don't don't wish to run away from this. Don't don't try and hide from it. Wish for more faith. Look for a better relationship. Work harder on yourself and our relationship with God than you do on trying to do these things on your own. He said, I tried to convince him I wasn't doing well by showing him my paycheck, and I blamed it on the company. I said, This is all the company pays. He said, No, that's all the company pays you. So well, that's a new way to look at it. He said, isn't it true the company pays some people three, four, or five times this much? I said, Well, yes. He said, Well, then this is not all the company pays, this is all you get until you requalify yourself and accelerate your qualifications for the bigger number. So you like to think somebody owes us something, or it's because of somebody else that we're not doing well. It's because of some other factor that, that we can't be effective. We need to change that thinking, that self-defeating trap, and realize that we can do something. And if we only turn to God, soften our hearts, and quit trying to do all the work ourselves, we'd be so much further ahead. I tried to convince him that things cost too much. He said, no, you can't afford them. So we started listening to all this stuff. And the tables began to turn on how we think of things and how, the, and how what we think is normal. And the opposite is so true. Here's another one. Success. Now, success, we think of that typically, you know, some guy's standing there in a suit. probably got a million dollars in the bank, debt-free, gold, a huge house, whatever it is. But I'm talking success as in reaching whatever goal it is that you have. You can be a successful studier of the Bible. You can give, be successful in giving Bible studies. You can be successful in community service. You can be successful in, in maybe getting the degree that you always wanted. Success is just achieving something that you would plan on going for. <clears throat> But success is not something you pursue, it's something you attract. Become an attractive person. You know, I'm trying to get these Bible studies. I'm banging on doors, chasing people through department stores. I can't get a one. Now if you become somebody who is studying the Bible a lot, you begin sharing knowledge, say, in class. People begin to understand and and realize that you are knowledgeable and you're very good at talking and, and, and you can flow through this thing, you know it back and forth. Suddenly, people find other people that need studies and they refer them to you. Become an attractive person. You can go for positions at work or in the church, you can get them through deceit and cunning. Spread rumors about all the bad things that person does and how poorly they perform. Eventually you might get them knocked out of there and you'll have that position. You can pursue that power. You can pursue that position. Or how about becoming really good at what you do? People start noticing, boy, are they a hard worker. Boy, are they a loving person. Boy, they have it together. Are they organized? I'd really like to see them as a leader. They become attracted to what they see. Become an attractive person. We pursue salvation on our own. We try and get that done. We try and obey those commandments on our own rather than through relationship with God. The things that we go for and try and chase, such as money and power, it's all a waste. Do not pursue those. You have a relationship with God. And everything that you need will be attracted into your life. Become an attractive person. Finally, I want to talk about opportunity cost. How I many of you know what opportunity cost is? It's what you lose when you choose. Okay? I'll say that again. Opportunity cost is what you lose when you choose. When you choose one thing, you're choosing not something else. You're giving up something else. Or whatever it is you chose is going to cost something else. What you lose when you choose. Here's a corollary of that. When you make the decision and commit to rely upon something, you're also giving up control. For example, say you have a kid. You know, he calls you on the phone and he said, Hey, I know I'm supposed to be home soon, but... The guys and I are going out, and, uh, you know, we're going to be out at midnight, 1 o'clock. Where are you going? I don't know. Who are you going to be? with? Well, you know, a bunch of people. You don't know their names. You don't know who's driving. You're worried about other drivers out there around that time of night. And he decides he's going to go out and do it anyway. He's choosing a good time with his friends. That's the opportunity he's choosing. What's he losing? He's probably going to be losing some privileges, parents, depending on who you are. Maybe lose the car. Lose trust. What you lose when you choose. The kid playing his video games while dinner's ready. Dinner's ready. He chooses to continue playing his game. He loses out on dinner. Or at least when he comes back, it'll be cold. How about even something? That, some of these are universal laws, by the way. It apply. You can apply it to almost everything. In your spiritual life. In your work life. You can use that even as, as standing versus sitting on a chair. I'm standing. I kind of have control of the fact that I'm standing. I sit on a chair. I've now chosen to give up control to that chair. If that chair were to collapse and fall, I go along with it. I've given up some control there. I stand back up off that chair. That chair can collapse and fall to the ground, and I should still be just fine. When you choose to rely upon something, you give up control. You know, God says we're not with him, we're against him. And as I had mentioned earlier, we are born into this sinful world, this sinful nature, right? We are born and by default, we do what it is the devil would have us do. By nature, right? By default. If we rely upon God, really rely upon God, you are giving up control. Isn't that what we want? He wants that for us too. Give over control to him. So you're not trying to do it yourself and stressing yourself out and end up maybe doing something drastically terrible or just having a terrible life as a result of grinding through things on your own. Relying upon God, you turn over control to him. What if you're not relying upon God? You rely upon yourself, but who is yourself without God? By nature... The devil, I guess. That's the will you'd be doing. And you'd be relying upon those principles, giving over control to that. It's like when you choose to buy a house that you don't have the money for it, you rely on the bank to give you money. You've now given up some control, they've got a lien on there. So you go and seek to make money to pay for that house, and you get a job. You've given up more control. You see, because the economy can do whatever it wants, the job, they can run out of work and you can lose that job. You don't have control over that. You lose your money. You lose your house. And now when you think about it, after losing those things, you're back to having more freedom, the freedom that you started with, before we tied ourselves down to having to have those things. different ways of looking at things. So friends, family, my prayer, my hope for you after this short message today is that you get to understand where the devil is really deceiving you. You're not getting away with anything if you make it through a day without killing somebody. You're not getting away with anything Anytime you can go down the list of Ten Commandments and feel like you checked them all off because of all that you've done. Now don't get me wrong, the law has not been thrown away. But God does not accuse us, we transgress it. Rather, we are convicted, there's a difference. We do feel that guilt, we feel a little bit of shame for what we've done. But what does he say? Go and sin no more. Your relationship with God will do far more for you than you trying to do these things yourself. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that every one of us here today begins to put down some of the entertainment, some of the busyness of life, at least some of it to begin with, Start a relationship with you, a true relationship, where we rely upon you, meaning that we give up control. And we thank you that we can choose who has that control. We can take that away from the devil. We can take it away from ourselves and give that to you. We thank you so much, Father, for your plan of salvation and for your eternal love and forgiveness for us. That's how you put your blessings on us through this week up to keep us safe, keep us in touch with one another, continue to develop and grow our relationships, and may we help and inspire others to be focused on you and not be distracted and fall into destruction. We also ask now, Lord, for your blessing on the food downstairs that we're about to have today. We thank you for the blessings that flowed into this church through each of us. And from you to provide this food and for the hands that we're working on it down there. And uh, again, we ask that it nourish us and that we have a great fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with Jody and Rob and their family as they travel to the hospital to see Jody's mother. We ask for your comfort and strength. We ask for your healing power. We ask for the guidance of those who are about to work with Jody's mother. May we be the friends and family to her now that we have been and show our support and kindness, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.